reasonably big deal, isn't it? Love is, love is a big deal. Um, I don't think there's anyone here who doesn't, deep down, uh, really want to experience love, to experience what it means to be loved by someone else. Um, kids want it from their parents. Parents want it from their children. And uh, regardless of whether we're single or married, uh, whether we're in a relationship with someone or whether we're looking to be in a relationship with someone, um, the need for love, the desire to be loved doesn't change depending on what situation you're in. It's only really where you're expecting to get that love from that changes in that situation. We also know that um, love is actually something that's very important for human flourishing, for life to be good. When love is withheld, it can have a, a devastating impact on a person's well-being. So, uh, some of you will remember, some of you are probably too young, you may have heard about it. Um, this became clear back in the late, uh, in the late 80s, 89 and, and in 90, when um, the children in Romanian orphanages were discovered at the fall of the Soviet regime there. Um, the kids had been terribly maltreated simply by being ignored, basically. Uh, they were fed and not much else. In fact, scientific studies were conducted on many of the Romanian orphans and it showed that the neglect that they experienced, so that deliberate withholding of love from those kids, severely impacted the development of those children's brains. The flip side of that is more recent research. So recently a study by Harvard University and the Boston Children's Hospital showed this, that the Romanian orphans who were fortunate enough to find a place in loving foster homes, and the key thing in the research was that these were loving homes, those children were actually able to regrow the missing connections in their brains and restore lost function. It's remarkable. Love really is a, a big deal. You could say that we are made for love and even the scientists agree with that. Life is better when we experience what it means to be loved. But at the same time, we know that love is not something that is easy. Love is not always easy in families, parents, children. Love is not always easy between a husband and wife or, or in any other kind of relationship. Between friends, love is not easy. I mean, just think about it. How many of you have been in a relationship, whether that's within your own family, uh, with a partner or spouse, or a relationship between friends, where you had experienced love from them and then somewhere down the track you felt as though you weren't being loved in the same way, that love wasn't coming to you, that that person might have withdrawn their love. It's, it's a pretty common experience, I think. And, you know, even within good relationships, that's a common feeling for a lot of people a lot of the time. So we know that we're made for love. Uh, we know that being loved and being in loving relationships is an important part of what makes us feel whole and healthy. But we also know that finding that kind of love that makes us feel like that is, is not easy to get hold of. In fact, love, finding love can be a little bit like trying to grab a handful of mist or fog. You can see it around you. You can feel it around you. 
But as soon as you try to grab hold of it and keep it for yourself, you, kind of, you can't get it. It slips through your fingers. And love can feel like that. We can feel that we have it for a moment, but once we try to keep it, grab hold of it, it's gone or it changes. I think most of us respond to that problem one of two ways and often both things are going on in our lives. Uh, Sometimes we respond by becoming quite desperate to get love. We long for love. We're determined to grab hold of it any way we can, looking for it wherever we can find it. One of the other ways that we respond though is to harden ourselves against it. So we either tell ourselves... I really need to be loved. Only when I'm feeling loved am I going to feel truly happy, so I've got to get it somehow. And that can lead to all kinds of problems, can't it? As you throw yourself in front of people, as you make yourself more available to them, often uh, amongst young people and amongst uh, older people as well, it's, it's making yourself sexually available to them so that you might feel loved come back. Or the other response is we tell ourselves... I'm going to be okay without love. We, we kind of take a cup of concrete and drink it to harden ourselves up. Uh, I'm never going to be truly loved like that, so I'm just going to learn to live without it. I'll, I'll be fine. I don't think either of those things really works, though, because we are made for love. We're made to be in these relationships. And what I want to show you this evening is that the solution to our love problem comes from the gospel. See, to get love right... We need to find the love of God that both meets our deepest need and sets us free to love other people in a a healthy and satisfying way. That's where we're headed over the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes or so. Can I say though, it's going to be a little bit different to my usual sermons. We're not going to be working our way through Bible passages in a big way. We are going to come to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 and look at that for a while. But... Before we get there, I I just want to make a few observations about our culture. And I want to use, I guess, marriage as the window through which we're going to look at some of what's going on. Marriage provides a bit of a window onto our culture's general attitudes towards love and being loved. I think we're all kind of aware that the average age for marriage in Australia is going up. So a report that was published in February this year from um, ABS, Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, Information, shows that the average age for first-time brides in Australia has just recently ticked up over 28 years of age. And for guys, it's just shy of 30. Now, back in the olden days when I got married, uh, if you go back to 1990, for instance... um, the, the largest group of women getting married were aged between 20 and 24. Uh, these days, the largest group is between 25 and 28. The next largest group, 30 to 34. The 20 to 24-year-olds make up a tiny proportion of those people getting married for the first time. Now, there are lots of reasons why people get married later, but uh, some research in America... Uh, A major study, long-term, ongoing thing called the National Marriage Project. And one of the things that they were interested in was asking young men why it is that they're less willing to commit, why it is that they don't want to get into a marriage relationship early on. 
And the researchers found that among many young adults, there are two key things that people are looking for in a relationship in order to say, yep, I'm going to commit to marriage. Number one, they're looking for physical attractiveness and sexual chemistry, as if that's going to be the thing that makes everything okay. And number two, a guy said they're looking for someone that they are completely compatible with right now. Uh, someone who showed, and I'm going to quote from the, uh, from the actual research here, a willingness to take them as they are and not try to change them. I, I remember someone, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good little grunt and laugh there because that's what happens in marriage, you change. I remember someone talking once about a, some marriage counselling they were doing and the husband said, it's not my fault, I haven't changed she has. And of course that's the problem. Once upon a time, things in marriage were quite different. So traditional views, uh, traditionally marriage was really thought about as the place where you create a new family. Much less about me and what I need, much more about duty, much more about what's going to be good for society, what's going to be good for our family. And also in marriage there was a sense of what is going to be good for the person who I'm getting married to. Over the years, though, those attitudes have changed. And you see the changes coming actually quite a way back in Western modern history. So you can see the change coming in the novels of Jane Austen. So Jane Austen writes characters like Lizzie Bennet, um, who is not content to settle for a kind of cold-blooded marriage of mere duty. Uh, she and other, others of Austen's characters are looking for some sense of love and affection in marriage. Uh, they were saying, I have desires and needs as an individual. And that growth of the place of the individual kind of carries on from the end of the 18th century through into our, our modern time. There have been a whole raft of changes. If you follow that line through to where we are today, through the, the post-war period especially where things have changed fast, we really are in a place today where we've almost lifted up the importance of the individual as high as it can possibly go. Uh, the thing that is almost more sacred than anything else these days. So you're a blasphemer if you say something different is the individual's right to be who they are, to be who they want to be. The individual's right to find fulfilment in having their personal needs met and being able to have a, a sense of their self that is affirmed by everyone around them. That's kind of the air that we breathe these days, isn't it? And one of the consequences of those sorts of changes is that when it comes to love and what it means to live a life of love, well, our expectations are really centred on what love is going to do for me, how love is going to affirm my sense of self, how love is going to make me special. We have become a, a community where we need other people for ourselves so that we can feel affirmed, we need other people to love us, to show us that. That's how it works. We want to be loved, that's natural, that's good. We, we want someone to behold us and delight in us, to be full of praise for us, to build us up, to hold us together, to, to make us feel good about ourselves when we're down in the dumps. 
Someone who, in a sense, will belong to us and who will long for us. We want to be loved. But at the same time, love is not easy because the truth is people don't delight in us the way that we want them to. People don't praise us or build us up as much as we feel we need them to. And so we struggle with love. We can struggle with giving love because we're anxious about whether or not we're going to get love back in return. We also struggle with receiving love from other people. Some of the time, because we're so over being hurt by other people that we've built this concrete bunker around our hearts. At other times, we we struggle with receiving love because, well, because we're so eager to be loved by other people to make us feel good that we become incredibly needy and clingy and we suffocate the people around us. We are made for love, but in our experience we know that love is not easy. But here's the thing, love is not impossible. And like I said before, the solution to our love problem comes from understanding and applying the gospel, the good news of what God has done and is doing through Jesus Christ. And so in the remaining few minutes, I want to give you a a principle to live by, uh, something that you can remember, something that I find reasonably helpful and pithy, uh, that kind of captures a lot of what the Bible teaches about this sort of thing. So a principle to live by and I also want to show you this principle in action in just those couple of verses from Ephesians 5 that we looked at before. So here's the principle, two things. Need others less for yourself and love them more for the glory of God. If you can remember that, that's going to be a helpful thing. Need others less for yourself, love them more for the glory of God. Um, I need to say that's not something I came up with. That comes from a a guy called Ed Welch, one of his books, When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's something I came across a number of years ago and I found very helpful personally. You know, when I'm struggling with relational things to go, no, no, what's that thing again? Need others less for yourself. Love them more for the glory of God. Now, it's a great sounding principle, but how do you make it work? Because, you know, that... It's no use if it, if it doesn't work. What, what that's getting at, I should say, is that our problem with love is mostly we try to get filled up with love in the wrong places. We go looking for our need for love to be met by other people, so we need people for ourselves. Whereas the Bible actually teaches us, no, what we're to do with other people is to love them for the glory of God. We get things around the wrong way. This principle is to try and reorient our thinking. No, no, don't, don't need them for myself. What I'm to do is to love them for the glory of God. And so to do that, we have to go and be filled up from God. That's where the Bible urges us to go. And that's what we're going to look at now in Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 2. So um, I said, learn this principle, memorise it, that's great. What's more important is to learn and memorise parts of the Scriptures. And here's a neat little package, two verses long, not that difficult. This is God's word. This is powerful and active. This is the stuff that you want working on your heart. The principle will only make sense when you get stuff like this. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's just work through these verses a little bit and unpack what's going on. The first thing that is really striking here is that it has something very important to say about who you are. We all want to be loved. This verse says that you are beloved. If you're a Christian, you are beloved. Now, you can't see it so clearly. Our translation has up there, dearly loved. But it's actually the same word that's often in in a lot of other translations translated as beloved. So let's change it. (laughs) Like when when Jesus is being baptised, most of you know this part of the Bible, don't you? Jesus is being baptised in the Jordan River. He comes out, out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and you hear the voice of God from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. What Ephesians 5 verse 1 is saying is, in the same sort of way, anyone who is in Christ, that is for anyone who's been connected to Jesus through faith in him, through betting their life on him, anyone who is in Christ, in the same kind of way we have become God's beloved sons and daughters. We are children who are delighted in by our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you realise that. Have you, have you thought about that ever before? If you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, then you, in a way very similar to Jesus, are God's beloved child. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? But the verses go on. As God's children, we don't just sit off in a you know, a shelter somewhere, we, we are to become like our Father, become more and more like God. We are to imitate Him. So what would it look like to imitate God? Well, we, we read in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. We know what, God, uh, what love is like because God has showed His love to us in His Son, Jesus. If we live... a uh, Uh, and love others, then God's love is made complete in us. That's the kind of thing that 1 John 4 was saying. So, in Ephesians chapter 5, what does it look like to imitate the Father? It means that we're to live a life of love. One of the really interesting things there is, doesn't that mean that a life of love is possible? Like it might seem hard to us sometimes. Some of us might feel we're over love, we just want to harden ourselves and give up. Now this says... A life of love is a real possibility because if God commands it, surely he's going to allow us to be able to do it, give us what we need. So, we're to live a life of love. What's that look like? Well, um, I don't know how many of you might have seen, the ABC had this thing on last night about travelling through Europe. They were in Venice and the whole thing was about Venice is a city for lovers because Casanova was here and he loved 3,000 women or something. I'm going... No, that's not a life of love. Here's what a life of love looks like. It means to be like Jesus. It means to be like Jesus. And that kind of fits nicely with that principle, doesn't it? Need others less for yourself, love them more for the glory of God. Jesus was not a needy kind of guy. 
I mean, here's Jesus, he's single. He doesn't have someone in his life who has made a commitment to devote themselves to loving him and meeting his needs. But he's not a needy guy. You don't see him as needy through the scriptures, through the gospels. What you see from Jesus is that he loves others for the glory of God. He doesn't need them for himself. And so verse 2 says, we are to love others just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So that means we love others not for ourselves. Because Jesus didn't love us for himself. So we're not, we don't love people to manipulate them into loving us back. Not because we need something from them, so I'm going to love them so that I can get back from them what I need. No, like Jesus, we're to love others sacrificially. We're to give ourselves up. Uh, the verses here talk about two reasons that we're to love each other. First, we do it for their sakes for their good, not for our own sake, because Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. And secondly, we love other people because it brings glory to God. It honours him. Jesus loved us, he gave himself up for us as a fragrance uh, offering to God, as, a, as an act of worship to glorify God. So, need others less for yourself. Love them more for the glory of God. How do you do that though? Because <laughs> it's kind of illogical, isn't it? Like if I devote myself to loving others and not needing them for myself, I'm going to be wrecked within a few weeks. I will end up absolutely depleted. If you think of your life like a, a jug of water and the water is love, if I'm constantly pouring out my love into other people, how do I not end up being empty and dry? with a crusty, hard heart? Well, the answer's there in the passage. Uh, it's there in that principle to need others less for ourselves and love them more for the glory of God. How do you do that? Because don't we need love? We've got to get that from somewhere. We, how can you need others less and not end up becoming cynical? Well, the answer is you can need others less only when you find yourself being filled constantly with the all-satisfying love of God. You need others less only when you find yourself being filled with the all-satisfying love of God. And the way to find that love is there in the passage as well. The only way to live a life of love is if we really know the meaning of the phrase, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Like the 1 John passage. Here's how we know what love looks like. God gave his son for us. So what does that, what does that tell us? When you think about it, in all of history, across the whole universe, no one has ever known what it means to be loved more than Jesus. Okay? So from all of eternity, he knew truly what it means to be the beloved one. He was the beloved son of God. He was filled to the brim every day with the love of God the Father. Filled up so that from the beginning of eternity, his heart was satisfied with the wonderful love of God, overflowing from God into himself and then from Jesus, it flowed out back to God 
and it flowed out to us as well as he went to the cross. See, what's really significant about the cross when you think about love is this. At the cross, Jesus lost what he had had from eternity. He lost the love of the Father. For a moment there on the cross, he received judgment from God instead of praise. For the first time in eternity, he received cursing from his Father instead of love. Not because of anything he had done, but because he clothed himself in our sins. The Bible says he bore our sins in his body so that when we face God's judgment, we might stand before God clothed not in our sins, but in Jesus' righteousness, the Son in whom God delights. At the cross, Jesus Christ, the beloved Son, lost the love of the Father so that we could receive it and be made his sons and daughters, so that we might know what it means ourselves to be beloved by God, so that we might become the eternal bride of the bridegroom who cherished us so much that he laid down his life for us, the bridegroom who pours out his spirit on us and who is preparing a world of endless delights that he will share with us and lavish on his bride into all eternity. That's the fountain of love that is going to fill up your jug. That is the fountain of love that is going to fill up your jug. The only way we can need others less for ourselves in a healthy and sustainable way is if we have been drinking deeply from the love of God in the gospel. It's the only way you can do it. And to the extent that we are filled, to the extent that we are filling ourselves up, drinking deeply of that love, we will be set free to love others without fear and anxiety of how they're going to respond to us. We won't need them for ourselves because we'll have been filled by God without worrying if we can take one more disappointment or moment of rejection from them. Sure, that, that is going to hurt when it comes, but it won't crush us, won't destroy us anymore. To the extent that we have been drinking deeply of God's love for us in the gospel, we will be able to need others less for ourselves so that we can love them for the glory of God. And to the extent that we then see ourselves in that deeper love story of the universe, to that extent will we be able to live a life of love like we're called on to do. I want to finish this evening not by praying with you, but I want to show you a short video that was made last year that picks up some of these themes of, of our need for love and how God is the only one really who meets that need for love amongst us. And the idea of this really is not just to have a clever video, but it's to lead you to worship God in your heart, to lead you to, to appreciate and dwell on and rejoice in God's love for you in the Gospel. So let's watch the video.